and welcome to This is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a look at the modern rock charts one month at a time. We are here today in October of 1991, and joining me in the studio is Orly. Are you sick of me yet? (laughs) No, nobody's sick of you. In fact, I would say... I get more fan mail for Orly than I do for me. That's ridiculous. That cannot be true. (laughs) The listeners want to know, how come Orly's not hosting this show? (laughs) And the answer is, is because I've asked her to be on every episode and she says she will not do more than one in three episodes. (laughs) Did I say that? It was one in four and then I kind of bullied you into slightly more frequently. (laughs) Obviously, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't having a good time and enjoying your company. But, you know, I have my own projects. Yeah, I don't want to take up all of your time. Thank you. I mean, I do put out an astounding 12 episodes a year. (laughs) You know, you come like the months. Yeah. Okay, so we're in October of 1991. Let's talk music. Okay. The number one song on the Billboard Hot 100. So like the big pop song of the day. Mm. Good Vibrations. Yeah, such a good vibration. Yeah, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. That's right. So I don't know if I brought this up before. Maybe I did. But in 1991, I stopped listening to any pop culture. Mm -hmm. And I was all in on the oldies. So you don't know that it's about that time to break four, the rhythm and the rhyme. I don't. (laughs) Well, I I got mine. So you get yours. I want to see sweat coming out your pores. Is (laughs) Is that right? I hope so. Um, Well, you missed out. You missed out on the Funky Bunch. I was listening to Tommy James. I was pretty happy. Sure. (laughs) Were you dragging the line? No, I was running just as fast as I could. Sure. (laughs) That was honestly probably a pretty good call. I feel like, I don't know, I got into the late 90s. And I was like, alternative music? Ooh, let's go oldies. Oldies? Yeah. No, I think I went classic rock. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, I something, yeah, something that was not alternative rock music in 1999. That's what I needed. Absolutely. Oof. That's a ways off, though. We yeah. don't have to worry about that. Yeah, mess. exactly. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This show will not make it to 1999. Yeah. Where no. we have to talk about Kid Rock. Oof. Let's talk about some modern rock, though. Yeah. So we've got one number one hit this month. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mmm. So this is actually the fourth time the Red Hot Chili Peppers have charted on this show, but mm-hmm. it's the first time they've hit number one. This is really the moment where they exploded from like a popular okay. LA band into okay. like mass appeal. So Red Hot Chili Peppers formed in 1983. They were a funk rock band from LA and they were originally called Tony Flow and the Miraculously Majestic Masters of Mayhem. No one's gonna say that. I mean, they would have just shortened it. Like, hey, you guys, gonna go see, gonna go see Tony Flo tonight. Yeah, Tony Flo. Does that just seem like it's period related? Yeah, I would just call bit. them like four M. The four M's. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that just sounds like a type of tape or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry guys, but Red Hot Chili Peppers is a stupid name too. Yeah, but it's so much better yes. than Tony Flo. <laughs> yeah, so um. The classic lineup and the lineup we're going to hear today is Anthony Kiedis on vocals, Flea on bass, John Frusciante on guitar, and Chad Smith on the drums. All right. But Anthony Kiedis and Flea have been the only consistent members of the band. Originally, they had a guitarist named Hillel Slovak, and he died 
of a heroin overdose in 1988. Right. And the original drummer, Jack Irons, Mm -hmm. quit the band as a result of that. He was really upset about Hillel's death. Yeah, I could see that. And uh, Jack Irons, he went on to eventually join Pearl Jam for a little while. Anyway, the Chili Peppers released four albums between 1984 and 1989, and each one was more successful than the previous one. So they were just like building their following. Oh, yeah. They put on a really energetic live show. They were notorious for wearing socks on their cocks and nothing else. And Mother's Milk, the previous album, sold half a million copies, which set off a major label bidding war. And in 1991, Red Hot Chili Peppers released the Rick Rubin-produced Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which went on to sell over 7 million copies in the U.S. Good for them. Yeah. And, and they had that hot bod Anthony Kiedis. Like, that does not hurt them. Fill me in on this, yeah. It's- yeah. <laughs> it's very helpful for a band. I mean, I don't want to besmirch anyone. <laughs> But maybe if he didn't look the way he did, their career would be more like Primus's. Maybe, yeah. I, it, I, I mean, you know, nothing against Les Claypool. Sure. This is why you're on the show. Because, I mean, <laughs> I look at Anthony Kiedis and I go, yeah, the guy looks charismatic. He's interesting yeah. to listen to. But I, I was never like, his hot bod is bringing me to no, the... No, what are you talking about? He's got that long hair and he's shirtless and he's always whipping it around. He's basically Fabio for rocker chicks. Okay, yeah. Now that you say it, it makes sense to me. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like his songs are so sexy. You're like, oh, he's talking about me. Yeah. When he says he wants to pet your Wolverine or whatever, like That's the ladies know what he's talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So anyway, Give It Away is the first single on the album. Yeah. It is built on a jam. Uh-huh. So Flea was just goofing around on his bass, going up and down the neck. Chad thought it was hilarious and he jumped in on the drums anthony grabs his lyrics notebook and uh anthony's like just starts going give it away give it away give it away now because he already had those lyrics ready to Uh go and the give it away came from hanging out with german singer and actress nina hagen okay years earlier anthony was hanging out with her and he found this awesome jacket in her closet and she gave it to him And he was like, I can't take this. This is the nicest jacket you have. And she was like, that's why I gave it to you. It's always important to give things away because it creates good energy. And if somebody sees something they like, you should give it to them and the world's a better place. And this was really meaningful to Anthony Kiedis because his worldview Uh at the time was basically like, you take what you can get, Uh you know, you got to like do it for yourself and get Uh what you can. That is really cool. Also, it's nice to have some meaning in that song because it really seems like nonsense. Well, before I knew that, I just assumed he was talking about giving away some D, if you know what I'm (laughs) saying. Like, it just seemed really obvious to me. I thought he was asking the girl to give it away. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, either way, either way. It's just like, I thought he's like, I got this thing and what I've got, I want to get it put it in you. Right. right? Oh, yeah. What I got, I put it in you for sure. And I'm going to give it to your mom and I'm going to give it to your uh, Your daughter. Yeah. Do a little dance and then we drink a little water. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, because you're tired and dehydrated afterwards. It's all about a jacket, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Let's listen to the song. The song is Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah, I don't wanna 
I think if I'd never heard that song before and I heard it just now for the first time, I would not like it. Really? No. Tell me about that. It was interesting because I think that time has really put those rose-colored lenses on it Mm -hmm. because I was introduced to this song at like a really important turning point in my life. Sure. It was also the first time I'd experienced seeing the video first. And this video is pretty stunning. Yeah, it's just like visually, artistically appealing. It makes the band look exciting. Yes, yes. The energy is there and it's fun. And I like the song when I hear it because I'm me and I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and I like that song based on my experience with it. Mm -hmm. But I think if I were to separate myself from all of that and just be me who I am today with no context, I'd probably be like, pass... I mean, the lyrics are mostly nonsense, and the song is pretty much melody-free. Yes. But it's <laughs> it's still an exciting song, especially like in the context of 1991. At this point, they were really transitioning from being a primarily funk band yeah. into being more of like a band that could write melodic rock songs. Yeah, I was going to say a rock and roll band. Yeah, and this album... It's a classic for sure, but there's too many songs. It's and so I could long. I could cut five songs, six songs, no problem. Yeah. And it would be a much stronger album. Yeah. That being said, I've talked to people who are like, no, don't cut the funk songs. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> there are, I, I know people who love the funk and I like the funk in small doses from the Chili Peppers. <laughs> so I guess it's a matter of taste. Is so. Sir Psycho Sexy making I, your top? Sir Psycho God. Sexy does not make the cut for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> but let me just give you a hint of how overflowing these guys were with musical ideas at this point, okay? Okay. The B-side to give it away was Soul to Squeeze. Oh, <laughs> right. Which right. will be a number one hit what, four years down the line or something? And they didn't want to include it on the album because they were feeling uncomfortable about having slower, more melodic songs. And they already had Under the Bridge. They had I Could Have Lied. And they had Breaking the Girl. Uh And they just felt weird about putting another like kind of slower song on there. So it was relegated to B-side status. Mm. And then, of course, we'll hear it We'll hear it later. Yeah, Coneheads, that's right. But that's pretty amazing when that's real cool. when a band's got B-sides to spare of that quality. Yeah. Faux show. All right. Well, we're definitely going to hear from the Red Hot Chili Peppers again. Okay. Many, many times. <laughs> Can't wait. So we'll save a little. Look, I'm sorry to be harsh on the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I actually want to address that because I've noticed a trend in recent years where the Red Hot Chili Peppers have sort of become the go-to band for hipsters to pick as the crappiest, least favorite band of all time. I would never say that. They're like the new... You know I'm not a hipster. The new Nickelback. I've seen this pop up on Facebook with some of my friends. They're sure, like, I've worst seen it band too. of all time. No, yeah. Multiple times I've seen this. I've heard it from comedians. Um, they've got silly lyrics. They've got bad songs, but... They put out so many great radio singles and Absolutely. they've managed to have a career that continues to have good, listenable radio songs for longer than pretty much any other band I can think of. Oh, no. I stand the peps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you know you're a true fan. You call them the peps. 
Okay, let's keep going. We've actually got two number twos on the charts this month. We're only going to listen to one of them. Oh my so, goodness, breaking the rules. I know. My apologies to all of you Smithereens fans out there, but we're going to hear from the Smithereens again later, a couple episodes from now. So I decided to give a shot to some bands that uh, we might not hear otherwise. Sure. We're going to hear from Billy Bragg. Uh-huh. And Billy Bragg is an, is an English singer-songwriter who's known for writing a lot of folky political songs. In fact, I think most of his first bunch of albums were him and a guitar and not Isn't a whole lot of other stuff. always how it is? I yeah. that's how he performs almost always. That's like what his records are like. He's going to kind of shift gears a little bit for this oh. one. Yeah. Bill Bragg was heavily inspired by The Clash. For sure. He's known for busking with a custom-built portable PA system. Cool. He had some success in the UK. Most notably, he hit number one with a Beatles cover. It was a double A side. Although it's kind of cheating because... It's a Beatles song. Well, I think it was the other band that was getting the radio play, but because it was considered a double A side, he gets number one status. Yeah. The other band, by the way, it was Wet, Wet, Wet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Love them. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) So in 1991, Bragg released the album Don't Try This at Home which was a bit more of a commercial pop-sounding album than anything he had done before. Okay. And he brought in some friends, Johnny Marr from The Smiths and Electronic, Peter Buck and Michael Stipe from R.E.M. Fun. And Kirsty McCall from Kirsty McCall. Sure. Take it if you can get it. Yeah. That's what I say. With friends like those. That sounds enjoyable. So the first single from the album is called Sexuality. Oh, good. Just don't. (laughs) Just don't even go there. You wouldn't think so, but Billy Bragg and sexuality go together like peanut butter and chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. I don't actually really know what Billy Bragg looks like. Like, he's a faceless man to me. Let me tell you, sexuality is not the first thing I think of when I see Billy Bragg. But um, maybe it is for some people. Sure. All right. So sexuality was co-written by Johnny Marr. And it hit number two on the modern rock charts. Number 27 in the UK. Okay. And let's just listen to some Billy Bragg. Just because you're guy, I won't turn you away. If you stick around, I'm sure that we can find some common ground. Sexuality, strong and warm and wild and free. Sexuality, your laws. It sounds like Billy Bragg wants to give it away. It sounds <laughs> It sounds like Billy Bragg should be writing songs for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was like a full-on joke song. It was filled with wordplay. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of puns. Goofiness. Some double entendres, yeah. Yeah. I was cracking up the whole time. Yeah. Um, Hilarious. Am I going to go back and want to listen to this song over and over? Probably nah, not, uh-uh. but I was definitely enjoying it while I was hearing it. And even though it's like goofy and kind of silly right. and has funny jokes in it, it, it seems a bit ahead of its time and dealing with sure. some important topics that other people weren't quite ready to deal with. Yeah. I mean, at one point he said something like he wants his equality, mm-hmm. you know, so like, yeah, everyone, no matter who you love, you know. Yeah. I actually love the first three lines 
I've had relations with girls from many nations. I've made passes at women of all classes. And just because you're gay, I won't turn you away. That's hilarious. That's why I felt like a crazy ex-girlfriend song. It was like, I'm getting by or something. Sure. And that is earnest. Right. Like, that's what almost made me uncomfortable. You think he was sharing a little too much? A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he he puts a line in here about safe sex doesn't mean no sex. It just Uh means use your imagination. Right. I can see some 1991 parents being a little scandalized at that, but um, I think it's a a really good point to make. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. I think it really makes a lot of good points. It's so sex positive in a non-creepy way. And how often do we get that in a song? That's the thing. I was almost looking for the creep. I got to be honest. Yeah, you're ready to roll your eyes and get skeezed out. Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't happen. So I was just like, oh, oh, he's earnest. It's just kind of sweet and it's hilarious. And that's why it's really in the vein of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I'm trying to think of sex positive songs from this era. And I feel like Billy Bragg Salt and Peppa. They're like the yeah. only two groups doing this kind of thing. Right. It does make me wonder, though, how much of this is Billy Bragg? How much of this is Johnny Marr? With the lyrics? That's yeah. Billy Bragg. Okay. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I got a musical Johnny Marr in there for sure. Mm-hmm. But those lyrics are Billy Bragg. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that was enjoyable. Like, I'm not surprised that that song has not stuck around in the popular conscious, but... I'm glad we heard it here. Me too. That That was was a delight. Yeah. That was Billy Bragg. We're going to move on down to number three. And we're going to hear from a band called Tin Machine. Tin Machine. Yeah. Do you always just kind of picture the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz? No, I didn't picture it at all, actually. Okay. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I pictured like a rusty little gremlin. (laughs) Like a little droid that's... Yeah. yeah. "Ah." Sure. That's the Tin Machine. So Tin Machine is an arty hard rock band. Yeah. Fronted by David Bowie. Okay. I mean, I don't know what the deal is really. He was sick of going solo and he had too much much success. He's like, I'm going to try this group thing, see how it works out. So he recruited his frequent collaborator, Reeves Gabriels. Reeves? Reeves. His name is Reeves. I like when people put S at the end of first names. Mm-hmm. It's like there's multiple of them. Have you considered going by Orleys? Orleys, yep. <laughs> so Reeves Gabriels. And he also recruited the Sales Brothers, Hunt and Tony Fox Sales. Hunt and Tony Fox? That's their names. These are, in fact, the sons of comedian Soupy Sales. That's weird. It is weird. <laughs> <laughs> David Boy's like, now who should I get for my band? I love that Soupy Sales. Wonder if he's got any musician (laughs) relatives. Does Soupy Sales have any sons? He's programmed to murder each other. (laughs) How about them in the band? Hunt that Tony Fox. That is so weird. It's pretty weird. All right. So anyway, the band was created during an era when Bowie was feeling a little short on inspiration, and he was hoping that a band would help kickstart some new ideas, presumably what that means is like someone else will come up with some ideas. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then he'll go like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll sing over this. <laughs> and and I love this. David Bowie apparently told 
Gabriel's Reeves Gabriel's <laughs> that he was looking for a guitarist who could do a combination of Beck, Hendrix, Ballou, Fripp, with a little Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King thrown in. Done. Yeah. Daily he, basis. He's like, oh, you're talking to him. <laughs> I got you covered. Those are my influences in order. <laughs> you need some Clapton in there too? I got you. It's ridiculous. So uh, Tin Machine put out an album, I don't know, a few years earlier or whatever. Uh, and in 1991, they put out their second album, Tin Machine 2. And Reeves Gabriels was heavily inspired by Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine mm. on this one. So he was trying to get some of that industrial sound from his guitar. Okay. Be on the listen out. We'll see if we can hear that. You should talk to Robin Fink. That's all I got to say. The other thing I want to point out is that the album artwork, it's a picture of four Kuros statues, which are like Greek nude male youths. Okay. And in the US, as I'm sure you could guess, the censors did not like the genitalia on the statue. Uh So they airbrushed them out. Weird. Because obviously missing genitalia it's a lot less upsetting than actual genitalia. Um, actual genitalia. Those are always so tiny anyway. Yeah. So they're, they're not like boners. They're like teeny little they were not, cocktail no, they were wieners. Not, they were not boners. You're correct. <laughs> so every other country in the world got the boners. <laughs> no boners. No, no. They got, every other country in the world got the genitalia. Bowie suggested to the record label, maybe fans could send away in the mail for a genital sticker that they could <laughs> apply to the front of their album and make it whole again. And the record label freaked out and said, no way. But, oh, I just wish that would happen. That would be that would be such a great souvenir. Like, that'd be going on eBay right now oh, for sure. like $100, the, uh, the Tin Machine 2 genital sticker. Uh-huh. I should just make one of those. <laughs> uh, it'll be like my new This Is Modern Rock advertisement just art. <laughs> like four little wieners yeah uh in a row and then this is modern rock i'm gonna do it in fact i'm not gonna do it but maybe i've got a listener out there who's into graphic arts and they can do that for me oh yeah yeah for free <laughs> <laughs> i'll give you a digital high five what about a virtual shout out yeah sure <laughs> you want a virtual shout out send me uh some tin machine two genital stickers <laughs> So, we're going to hear the third single from this album. It's called One Shot and... One Opportunity. <laughs> Palms are sweaty. There's <laughs> vomit on my sweater already, Mom's spaghetti. Yeah, so One Shot. And this uh, this album seems to be out of print. So, if you want to find the song... Good go, luck to you. Yeah, go, <laughs> go dig around in some dollar bins. That's all I got to say. Here it is, Tin Machines, One Shot. So I like David Bowie enough that I think if I listened to this song a few more times, I'd probably start to enjoy it. Right. But just hearing it for the first time, it's not really standing out to me. Sure, it could be a grower. I think it's coasted to number three on the fact that David Bowie's in the band. Sure. Yeah. 
Like I was listening for the Nine Inch Nails vibes, like anything industrial. And mm-hmm. the thing about industrial is that it's dark. Yeah. And this song was not dark. This is like jazz bar surprise. <laughs> That's what they should have called it. Jazz bar surprise. You know, they're like, oh my God, you know who's here at this little jazz bar? It's David Bowie. Exactly. Come, get on up, David. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just make something up on the spot. <laughs> you and uh, you and Reeves Gabriels. Yeah, exactly. You're like, listen to the guitar. I'm like, yeah, they put the right tone on it. Yeah, they got the industrial tone, but he's doing like some serious blues-based wankery or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, no offense. I, I'm sure he's an incredible guitarist. But of course. That is not alternative rock guitar right there. <laughs> no. So Tin Machine released a live album in 1992, but the band dissolved shortly thereafter. One Shot was their final single, and then Bowie continued with his solo career, and he will appear again on the Modern Rock Charts. We're going to hear one more, and we're jumping all the way down to number 23 on the charts, so we can listen to some Thompson Twins. All right. What is this, the 80s? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. The Thompson Twins. Like every other band that we've ever listened to on the show, they were formed in 1977. They began as a four-piece new wave band, and they were named for a couple of detectives from Tintin Comics. By 1982, the band had ballooned to a seven-piece, but their manager convinced their three core members, Tom Bailey, Joe Leeway, and Alana Curie, to temporarily break up the band, Mm. give 500 pounds each to the other members, let them keep their instruments, and then reform the band as a trio. (laughs) <laughs> that's rude it's pretty rude yeah yeah i mean i guess they must have had enough success as a seven piece that the name meant something right otherwise they would have just picked a new name right so anyway the new streamlined thompson twins focused on more of an electronic pop sound and they found some success quickly notably with the singles hold me now and doctor doctor which oh, were pretty yeah. big hits I, they were and by 1991 the band was down to a two-piece Tom Bailey and Alana Curry. Just can't get along, huh? Guess not. And as their fortunes began to fade, they attempted to reinvent themselves along the lines of the Manchester Okay. Scene. Is that what we're going to hear? It is. Oh, good. So this resulted in their final album, Queer, which, I mean, hot tip for people trying to sell albums in the US, Queer is not the way to go. Maybe a little better now. In 1991. Absolutely not. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine like anyone walking into the record store and like, can I get a copy of Queer? I know. I mean, they probably lost 100,000 record sales just because of the title in the US. It'd be hard to even just like, even put it across the counter. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're buying Queer? Right. You get like a judgmental look from the record store clerk. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although when I was young, I was oblivious to those. I was just, I don't care if they thought Pearl Jam was lame. I was like, I just need everything from by Pearl Jam. Well, I, I was so oblivious. I was still thinking queer just meant strange. <laughs> well, hey, I'd like to get this unusual album right here. <laughs> I'm barely joking. <laughs> so queer was not successful as an album, but the first single, Come Inside, hit number 23 in the modern rock charts. Uh-huh. And It was initially released as a white label single under the name Feedback Max. What does that mean, white label? They were hiding who it was and where it came from. So there's Why? It was an attempt to sneak the song into the clubs without the DJs having any prejudice against the Thompson Twins. Uh, So I think by 1991, 
Thompson Twins were kind of considered has-beens or uh-huh. like 80s stuff and maybe not that cool. Right. So they figured if they named themselves Feedback Max, then, <laughs> then club DJs would think they were cool again. That's so embarrassing. It's just, it's, you know what? It's 80s. If you think Feedback Max, <laughs> right? Like if you're naming, if you're doing like Adjective Max. Yeah. Feedback Max, it just still says 80s. It says 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So should we listen to some Feedback Max? Yeah. We got Give It Away. We've got Sexuality. We've got Come Inside. Yeah. What's the tin one called? One Shot. Oh, yeah. Oh, one Shot to Come Inside. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This, this ooh, is a sex riddled episode. I didn't even think of it. This, this was not planned, folks. But, um, <laughs> whew. Nobody can see you pull your collar. It's radio. <laughs> Podcast All right. medium. Come inside. If the party's over, why won't you tell me? I don't see you dancing anymore. What about this? There was a lot I liked about that. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't hate it. I was expecting to like it less. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was just an expectations thing. Low expectations, and then um, you're pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was catchier than the David Bowie song. I did too, and I actually think it was probably the catchiest song we heard tonight. Like, melody-wise. Like, you can sing along and give it away because he says it a million times. But, like, I could sing that other one still. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked his voice. He was doing an impression kind of at the beginning, like in the slower parts. But then when it like pre-chorus chorus, chorus, Mm -hmm. I felt like, oh, this is like the groove. And I was enjoying that part. Yeah, I think that would have played totally fine in a 1991 dance club. Absolutely. It's certainly no worse than like most of the Jesus Jones songs from this era. Like it would fit very nicely along with that stuff. It's very Jesus Jones. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> very in excess which i, I like the, in excess sure like 1991 in excess yeah 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 you know it sounds a little too calculated i think yeah but it's, i know what you mean it's serviceable i think so too because the songwriting was there i didn't love the breakdown where it's like this is the moody trance part of this mm-hmm. it didn't feel like it went there enough to be considered that right. and it wasn't doing anything else so then i was just like we're just killing time here I just feel like it's it's not that creative. It's like they wrote this song that was sort of catchy and yes. it could have been any type of music. Yes. And you can definitely imagine it as more of an 80s sounding sure. Thompson twin song. Yeah. And they're like, you know, we're, we're just going to grab this kind of drum beat. Yeah. And then throw in some like sort of Eastern influenced right. sounds. And... I just got to say they did a much better job though copying a sound than David Bowie did. He was like, what are you doing out here? <laughs> you mean trying to copy an industrial sound? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. They're yeah. like, get a clue, Grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to picture this as a song about someone who is inviting a vampire into their home, right? 
that's that's what I was thinking the whole time. I, you know, you know how because like put that David Bowie video yes, in exactly. here. Exactly. Like you know how vampires aren't allowed to come into your house right, unless you invite of them. Course. And I think I think this person has thought about it, and they're like, you know what? Come on in. You've got what I need right now, vampire. Oh, Guillermo. Yeah. Will you make me a vampire someday, master? <laughs> come inside. Please don't kill me. Yeah. Uh, sure, I like that. Yeah. I clearly miss what we do in the shadows. So after Queer and a single on the Cool World soundtrack, the Thompson twins changed their name to Babel, and they started making dub-influenced chill-out music. Wait, after this? Yeah, after this. That was their, their next project. Okay, they're like, this is not chill enough. We yeah. need to get more chill. But you know what? That sounds ahead of the curve to me, because I feel like... People really got into dub-influenced chill-out music another, like, decade later. Am I wrong? I don't know. I feel like they might have kick-started the whole dub-influenced chill-out music thing. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if anyone finds a a Babel CD out there in the dollar bins, uh, it's actually the Thompson Twins. That's right. Okay, well, I mean, we're getting close to the end of the year here. This was October. We got two more months. It still sort of feels like the 80s, but the Chili Peppers didn't. The Peps. Like, <laughs> you know, you didn't you said you didn't love Give It Away, but that feels 90s to me. No, you're absolutely right. But I still love the Peps, and we talked about all of their songs. <laughs> you're the only person who has ever called them the Peps. I don't care. And I love it. Hey, <laughs> do we have any graphic artists out there who would be willing to send us a Peps poster? <laughs> A Peps poster to put on the wall down here <laughs> in the uh, the recording cave. Oh, it's Th- true. That would be amazing. I will hook you up. What, what were we gonna give them in, in return? A, a shout, shout out. out. Yeah, <laughs> we got we got to do better than a shout out. What about this? Does anyone out there still listen to CDs? Oh yeah. I could maybe hook someone up with a CDR full of out of print modern rock tracks. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What about your zine? Oh. I could hook someone up with a zine. Yeah. Does anyone want a zine? There are zines, people, still out there. All right. Hook me up with a Peps poster. <laughs> and That's we'll right. do a little, uh, what do you call it? The old, Barter. Uh, no. Swapper. What's, old, the old, what's the word for the I scratch your back, you scratch mine? Oh. I was going to say a little menage a trois, but that's clearly <laughs> clearly not right. Uh, a, quid, little, oh, a little quid pro quo. Quid, quid pro quo. <laughs> yeah. Quid quo quo. <laughs> It's a little bit of quid quo quo. <laughs> uh, I think we're done. I think we're done, yeah. All right, that was our show. If you would like to get in contact with me, you can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Also, just a reminder, we're going to be doing a bonus episode after the season, and I would like some suggestions for songs to cover. So I'm looking for any song that came out during the modern rock era up until the end of 1991, and I'd like to hear something from a band that has not been featured on the show at this point and probably won't ever be featured on Mm, the show. mm -hmm. So... Send me suggestions, and you know what? If you describe why you like this song, why it's meaningful to you, give me a cool story about it, uh, how you first heard it, or that kind of thing, we might include it on the show. Awesome. See you in November 1991. Thank you, Orly. Yeah, good to be here. All right. Bye. Bye.